Welcome to The Blind Side. News and information from a blindness perspective. Here's Jonathan Mosen. Hello, thanks for downloading the podcast once again. Great to be back with you. I must say, I'm glad that we're indoors today and that we're not attempting something like the Blind Square podcast we did last weekend today because the weather is extremely dodgy out there in Wellington, New Zealand. It was pretty nice yesterday, though, when we were coming back, Bonnie and me, from a play that my two youngest kids were involved with and it was a special one for me because it's the Wizard of Oz. Now 30 odd years ago I myself was in the Wizard of Oz. I played the lion, you know, the lion who wanted courage. It was a lot of fun doing the Wizard of Oz and then I got to see my daughter who was in the play this time, my 13 year old, and my son, my 16 year old son, he was involved in some of the technical aspects of the production, doing some of the behind the scenes stage stuff and things like that. So that's the circle of life at work, isn't it? When you are in the play and then 30 odd years later, your kids are involved in the same play and who knows, in another 30 years, I'll probably be the the scarecrow who's looking for a brain or something like that, but we'll, we'll see what goes on. On the podcast today, well, we will have a comment in a moment from somebody who felt moved to uh, make an audio contribution about the Blind Square podcast that we did in last week's edition of the podcast. Then we'll be speaking with the National Federation of the Blinds, Chris Danielson, about another organization's campaign, actually. This is the campaign that's been put together by the Foundation Fighting Blindness, and the campaign is called How I See It. If you're on social media, on Twitter or Facebook, you've probably heard about this How I See It campaign and the fact that it has upset many blind people. We'll be talking about why and the nature of this campaign and the nature of the NFB's concerns about it. And I should also say that at the same time that we, when we realized this was a big issue and a lot of people were talking about it, we reached out to the NFB to ask somebody to come on and talk about this. At the same time, we also contacted the Foundation Fighting Blindness and said we'd really love to get you on the blind side and talking about this campaign discussing some of the issues and your response to the concerns that some people have raised. At the time of recording, we have not yet received a reply to that invitation to come on the podcast. However, it remains an open invitation. And if someone from the Foundation Fighting Blindness does want to appear on the podcast, they would, of course, be very welcome. Sunday nights are something special on Mushroom FM. Starting at 8 o'clock Eastern, come by the hills. I'm Sarah Hillis, and if you're like me, you love Celtic music. So I hope you'll join me here on Mushroom FM every Sunday night for Come by the Hills, the Celtic music show with Sarah Hillis, where I'll present three magical hours of the best in Celtic music from around the world. And then, at 11 o'clock, it's time for Moon Dreams. A relaxed, two-hour journey through the world of music without words. Gentle, easy on the ears. Moon Dreams. Sunday night on Mushroom FM. Feel the need to sound off? Share your thoughts about this week's show by email. Send an audio file or write it down and email the blind side at mosin.org. Hi, Jonathan. It's Carolyn here from Auckland. Just wanted to say how much I enjoyed your Blindside podcast on Blind Square. It's a tool that I've had now for several months and I've used it here in Auckland. While we don't have the beacons, I find it a really good navigation tool, especially when walking along a street in a busy shopping area such as Newmarket, it does indicate to me some of the businesses that um, I'm walking past and are around me. And I found it really useful out walking with my guide dog, Imogen. I experienced the beacons in the Wellington Blind Foundation office earlier this year when I travelled down. I had heard about them and I was determined to have a go with Blind Square and see how they worked. So when I arrived at the Wellington office, it got me through the doors and to reception. And then when I was talking to the lady at reception, I said to her that I wanted to go to the Henderson room and would the beacons guide me there? And she said, yes, 
pointed me in the right direction and off I headed and sure enough I found the Henderson room which was the meeting room I needed to be in and I was able to after my meeting locate the toilets without assistance in a building that I hadn't visited before. This was the new setup of the Wellington office and I hadn't been there since all the changes. So I really enjoyed that freedom and I think it's wonderful. I also think it's wonderful now that you've got so many different voices to choose from to operate Blind Square. Unfortunately, with the latest update, the default voice has actually got worse. So some of the other newer voices that you can use and download are much better in quality. So thanks for the podcast, and I am a very happy Blind Square user, and I would love to see beacons in all the major cities in Australasia. Then we could really Skype to the rest of the world. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Well, I mean, wouldn't it just? And actually, I think Skype is a New Zealand word, not aware of its use anywhere else. So it sort of means to boast, to brag. It's something to brag about now, even having all these beacons in our capital. But I would love to see it extended as well. We've had a number of other emails with uh, feedback about the podcast last week saying how much they enjoyed hearing how the Blind Square beacons work in reality. And uh, Leo from Canada dropped me an email to tell me that he's attending a conference soon where they are setting up some Blind Square beacons there. So I appreciate that info, Leo. And I think that you will see these Blind Square beacons becoming a fixture of many blindness events. So a very positive development. I certainly wouldn't want this podcast to go by without acknowledgement of the fact that as I record this, today is the day that the Marrakesh Treaty comes into force for those countries that have signed on. It is a very historic day indeed. This treaty has been decades in the making. And for those people who think that their advocacy, their standing up for what they believe in can't change their world, I will point you to the Marrakesh Treaty. This is something that the publishers and many other key players were totally resistant to when we started talking about this in the 1990s. And I'm proud that I was involved at the very beginning with this when New Zealand, little old New Zealand, passed the Copyright Act in 1994 that made it permissible for organizations who produce special format material for blind people to adapt that material without having to seek the permission of the copyright holder. And after that, things took hold and people said, well, wouldn't it be great if we could find a way of facilitating much easier exchange of accessible format material because there is so much duplication out there and special format material or accessible formats. They're such a precious resource. They take so much time to produce, they're costly to produce. And if we can minimize that duplication by facilitating international exchange of titles, then that's fantastic. And a lot of people have worked very hard changing minds, coming up with compromises, working through the issues. And now all that advocacy is a reality today. The Marrakesh Treaty is in force. And here in New Zealand, I'm sad to say, we still haven't ratified it. So there will be still some countries who will need to sign on. Congratulations to everybody who played any kind of part in this fantastic achievement. Just before we move on to our featured guest, a reminder that if you are looking at using Pages, that's the word processor on the Mac, then Mosin Consulting has a book for you. We haven't talked about this on the podcast yet, so I thought I'd mention it now in case you weren't aware of it. And Robertson has been writing about the Mac and Pages for a long time. She contributes freely on Mac-related email lists and is clearly a fountain of knowledge. And she and her husband, Archie, have been teaching pages for quite some time. So last year, I uh, tapped Anne and Archie and I said, wouldn't it be great if you could distill all of this knowledge that you have into a book? And they did. And it's called My Mac Pages. It's a great seller because it tells you how you can use pages on the Mac. This does not at this point deal with the pages for iOS. So it is only a Mac OS thing. And it's pretty comprehensive. You can find out all about the table of contents, what's covered in the book, and a lot more by going to the Mosin Consulting Store. So that's mosen.org, M-O-S-E-N.org. Choose the link for the store, and you'll find a link to my Mac pages right there where there is a full explanation 
of the book. And if you are a Mac user and you want to do some word processing, I hope you enjoy it. It's time to hear from this week's featured guest on The Blind Side. When I began The Blind Side, I promised that we'd cover the big blindness-related stories that people were talking about. And if you've been anywhere near social media recently, you'll be aware that people are talking about a campaign which has been started by the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Now, the Foundation is a US-based not-for-profit, and it raises money to assist with research on cures for causes of blindness, such as retinitis pigmentosa and Usher's syndrome. But opponents of the foundation's latest campaign, which is called How I See It, accuse the foundation of perpetuating inaccurate stereotypes about blindness in order to raise money. That's damaging, they say. And to talk about this and how they are responding, Chris Danielson is back with us from the National Federation of the Blind. Welcome back, Chris. It's great to be back, Jonathan. Thanks so much for having me again. I see on the foundation's website there in Baltimore, are you guys neighbors? We are. We're pretty close to them. As a matter of fact, uh, just last week, we hand-delivered a letter to them about this uh, campaign and our concerns about it. Uh, One of our guys was able to just drive down the road and drop off this letter so that we were sure that they had it. And uh, so, yeah, they are. We are neighbors. This is not the first time that we've dealt with them. And, you know, some of our dealings have even been cordial. Uh, But uh, this is uh, for reasons that that we'll go into. This is not acceptable. This is not helpful to blind people and uh, is doing much more harm than good. And we have urged the foundation to to stop it. All right. Now, for those who are not following the story yet, what is this campaign and why has it caused so much anger in the blind community? Okay. So as you said, the Foundation Fighting Blindness is an organization that raises money for Uh, treatments or cures for conditions that cause blindness, particularly retinal diseases has traditionally been their, their focus. And we're fine with that. But what they have done is they've, they've started a campaign, which they see as being analogous to the famous ice bucket challenge from a few years ago. Uh, It's, it's nothing like the ice bucket challenge, but they've decided to have some sort of challenge and, you know, where people make videos and hopefully post those videos to the internet and hopefully the videos get some attention and cause people to donate to the Foundation Fighting Blindness. And what they've asked people to do is to blindfold themselves and do some ordinary task. And they they have a whole list of tasks that they suggest that people try, like uh, making breakfast, like uh, having somebody hand you a wad of money and to try to sort it, uh, different things like that. And um, they want people to take these videos and to them post them to the to YouTube with the hashtag, how I see it. And they want people to use not the letter I, but the word I, E-Y-E, how I see it. Isn't that clever? Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> sorry, a little sarcasm crept in there. So um, now, any, I think anybody who has been blind for uh, a while uh, knows that blindfolding yourself in just for a few minutes is not analogous to being blind and having acquired the skills that you uh, need in order to succeed as a blind person. So if you blindfold yourself uh, for a minute and try to pour yourself a bowl of cereal, for example, which is, you know, one of the tasks they suggested, you're not going to do that well. You might make a mess uh, because you're not used to doing it. You don't know the techniques that blind people use to, you know, make sure that we're pouring uh, into the bowl instead of somewhere else. And so you blindfold yourself, but then you try to do the task the same way you would as if you weren't, weren't blindfolded and it doesn't end well. 
And, and of course it doesn't. But what happens is that when people do that and, and they have this very initially disorienting and sometimes frightening experience, depending on what they're trying to do, they conclude, unfortunately, and we know that they conclude this because research has shown it, they conclude, oh my gosh, life for blind people just must be impossible because I only blindfolded myself for a minute and I made a mess of my kitchen. So I can't imagine how those poor blind people get through their day. It must just be one mini nightmare after another. And, and of course, it's not like that for you and me. Uh, because we have learned certain techniques for dealing with uh, life as a blind person. And we use those techniques, which are uh, non-visual techniques, and we move forward. Um, but given that we have such poor attitudes in societies all over the world about blindness, uh, and we know that, by the high unemployment rates of blind people and the way we as blind people sometimes get treated when we're out in public, uh, as well as the research has been done, this, this kind of thing just increases the fear and apprehension that people have about blindness. And it, makes, it may make them want to donate to the Foundation Fighting Blindness, but it also makes them less likely to believe that the blind people who are living now and who may not be able to benefit from whatever treatments or cures uh, the Foundation Fighting Blindness comes up with, if they ever come up with them at all. And, it, and I think it's doubtful that there will ever be a cure for every single eye condition that, that can cause blindness or every single accident that might happen. But, but even if there was, there, there isn't now. And what we don't want is for blind people to be harmed in the name of some future benefit when we don't even know how far that benefit is down the road. So that's the end game then, that people conclude blindness is a terrible thing, totally debilitating, and that should therefore incentivize people to donating to the foundation fighting blindness. Is that the whole point? Yes, I believe that is the, the entire point. Uh, is to make people afraid of blindness. Um, you know, they they say it's to so that they can understand the challenges that blind people face. But of course, they're not understanding the challenges in the way that we understand them. Now, now it is true, and we we don't deny this. We've never denied in the National Federation of the Blind that when somebody first goes blind or first begins to experience vision loss, it is very upsetting and very frightening and the person has to first come to terms with it and then come to terms with the fact that they're going to need to learn new ways of doing things in order to move forward and you know that's hard enough uh for for people who are who are losing vision and it's it's you know it it's a process that people have to go through. And we acknowledge that. But our whole mission is to let people know that, if you'll pardon the expression, that there is light at the other end of that tunnel. Uh, and that after their period of adjustment and whatever training they need to get, uh, which is going to put their life on hold maybe for a little bit, but they will come out the other side of it and be able to live uh, normal lives. And when the Foundation Fighting Blindness does a campaign, or anybody does a campaign like this, uh, it, it, it increases the sense that blindness is not something that can be dealt with, is not something that uh, we can learn to live with. I mean, I actually know uh, of blind people and, and know blind people who are doing nothing with their lives but sitting around waiting for a cure. And that's not the position that we want blind people to be in. And, and we also don't want the public's attitude about blindness to be made worse in the name of medical research. Some might say that the NFB's vociferous objection to this is a little bit tainted by the fact that your training centers do blindfold people, right? And that has been controversial in the past. 
Sure, it has. Uh, and, you know, we know that ev- that not everybody uh, agrees with this approach. There is an important difference, though, that I, I, I hope everyone will be able to acknowledge. When someone goes to an NFB training center and they are blindfolded, there are uh, blind people all around them. Many of the instructors are blind. The ones who are not have also all been trained under sleep shades. And so, I mean, we don't just slap a blindfold on people and say, do your best. Uh, we have people around them that, that say, okay, you're going to put these sleep shades on. Uh, I mean, I went to an NFB training center, and for the first uh, several weeks that I was there, there was always a blind person or an instructor with me to make sure that I understood uh, and was learning and was using properly techniques of blindness so that I would not become overwhelmed, so that it would not be dangerous, and so that I would be uh, in a position where, yes, I was under a blindfold because I had light perception at the time, and we we do put people under sleep shades even if they have light perception. Um, but there was always a a mentor a, around to make sure that I uh, that I could succeed with the tasks that I was. Uh, assigned to do under the blindfold for the first few weeks. I didn't walk to, uh, you know, I didn't walk from the apartment building where we live to the Louisiana Center for the Blind with a cane by myself. Uh, I was, I was, uh, you know, there was a person with me uh, to uh, give me direction and advice and help me, uh, to to accomplish that successfully when your average sighted person just slaps on a blindfold in their kitchen or you know as they're as they're going out the door or as they're going about some daily task there's no one there to tell them all right this is how you might accomplish this task uh, given that you are under a blindfold and can't use your vision to accomplish them uh, accomplish it so they don't have any context, any guidance, any sense of how they might accomplish the task. And so they're, again, pardon the expression, they're they're really shooting in the dark. They have no idea of how they might uh, proceed. And that's what's dangerous because there's not a, uh, there's, you know, we acknowledge that people don't know how to deal with blindness. Just it doesn't come naturally. Uh, it's not a uh, it's not an automatic thing where once your eyes start working, everything just sort of you you uh, all of a sudden acquire superpowers in your other senses and you're fine. Of course, it's disorienting and upsetting f- at first. And if you don't have uh, blind people or people who know something about blindness to help you along the way then it is very frustrating and frightening. And that's what's happening with this campaign. People are, are not being given any sense that there is a way to do these forwards, as, 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 to go forward and to do these things as they would be in a training center. It seems to me that conditions like RP and Usher's syndrome, those sorts of things, they're insidious because they kind of creep up on people over time. And perhaps you know that you've inherited something like this and you know that something might happen and gradually you notice, well, maybe it is happening. So I'm sure that in that situation, it's a very frightening thing that's constantly with you. But it also seems to me that surely there might be some partnership to be had between the Foundation Fighting Blindness and an organization like the National Federation of the Blind, because while blindness does exist in parallel with them advocating for a cure, surely it's in their interests for their members and supporters to be able to live as full and as rich a life as possible and trash-talking the abilities of blind people seems incredibly counterproductive. Well, we uh, I completely agree with that, and we do we do agree with that position in the National Federation of the Blind, and we would very much like uh, to partner with the Foundation Fighting Blindness because 
people who are losing vision are frightened and they do worry about what is going to happen if and when they completely lose vision. Just to go back to our training centers, by the way, that's one reason that we do the sleep shade training. Uh, it's a, it's, you know, we understand that it's an approach that not everybody agrees with, but part of the reason we do it is so that people understand that if they ever do lose all of their vision, they will still be able to do things. Otherwise, the tendency is to continue relying on the vision that they have and not to really absorb how to do things as a blind person. Uh, you know, and then when they leave the center, if they still have vision, that's all great. We, we don't tell them not to use it. Uh, we're uh, just training them in, in ways that they can deal with life if they are able not ever to use it. So that's one of the things we try to do. And it would seem that a good thing for the foundation fighting blindness to do would be to partner with an organization like the National Federation of the Blind that's saying, look, uh, you're, you're in this situation where you're losing vision. Medical research may or may not help you. Uh, with it. But in the meantime, here's how you live as a, as a blind person. And we have tried to get organizations like the, the Foundation Fighting Blindness to work with us on that. We've reached out to other medical organizations and organizations of eye doctors as well, and to individual eye doctors and said, you know, your only recourse isn't vision correction. If you're we actually have a piece of literature that we distribute called When Your Best Efforts Fail or If Your Best Efforts Fail. And the point we're trying to make to the medical professionals is don't just feel sorry for your patient if you are unable to correct their vision. Give them our number and direct them to a resource that can help them live with their vision loss uh, you know, either, you know, hopefully until such time as there can be correction, but if not, they'll be able to move on with their lives either way. And we really do strive to do that. We've had limited success. I think part of it is because medical professionals never like to admit that they haven't succeeded. Uh, but we are trying to work with that community, the community that works on medical issues and say, you know, there, there is a point at which it's actually helpful to the person for you to say to them, you know, there's only so much that we can do and you need to learn to live with your vision loss. And here is a, a partner of ours that can help you do it. And that's what we hoped would happen. But uh, so far, there hasn't been interest. And, you know, in the, the letter we sent to the Foundation Fighting Blindness, once again, offered that kind of partnership. And so far, there, there has not been reciprocal, reciprocal interest from them. Have they responded in any form to your recent communications about this? Uh, they have not in any formal way. We, we are hearing that they are quietly reassuring some of their supporters and board members who are upset about this um, because there are people who support both organizations uh, and there are blind people involved in the foundation fighting blindness and they're uh, other than saying that we're being on uh, to these folks. And, and again, I can't, uh, verify any of this specifically but we've heard from people that they are you know making soothing noises and for example one of the things we were most upset about is one of the tasks that they suggested people do and i know you'll be particularly sensitive to this jonathan is they said you know just imagine trying to watch your child for a minute as a blind person blindfold yourself and try to do that and we responded very, uh, very forcefully to that particular suggestion because, of course, that's that's actually dangerous. It's uh, it's bad enough that we have children being taken from blind parents all the time because of misconceptions about blindness. And 
you know, a suggestion like that can only make things worse. So they're telling people that they've now taken that particular suggestion and that particular video down. I personally haven't verified that. But as far as officially responding to us in the National Federation of the Blind, all, all they have done is reached out to us and said, well, we're, we are happy to meet with you, but we can't do it until late in October when this campaign will already be over. So they're clearly not interested in engaging with us during this campaign or changing the direction of this campaign at this point. Uh, and that's very frustrating. Uh, they were also, at one point, some of our members who were commenting about the campaign uh, were being blocked from posting comments on the Foundation Fighting Blindness's Facebook page. They have since publicly said that they are not doing that, and at least some of our people have found that they are unblocked, although some have not. So those are the only two public responses we've had that will meet with you uh, at a time of our choosing, uh, which happens to be when this campaign is over. And also, we're not blocking you from our Facebook page. Th those are the only responses we've had. Beyond videos, this has actually got some media coverage. And I was doing a bit of Googling on this campaign and found a number of articles in the electronic and print media from very competent people. I mean, people who are leaders in their profession, such as journalism, for example. I read one article where a journalist went with a, uh, a companion and had lunch and got the, they did the whole lunch thing blindfolded and got the waitress to uh, read the menu and then went on to talk about how difficult it was knowing what was on your plate and getting your fork to your mouth and this sort of stuff. So this has actually gone quite viral. It's gone beyond the videos. It has, uh, you know, that in that particular instance, that was our, our U.S. broadcast network, NBC, and one of their correspondents, Peter Alexander, happens to have a sister with Usher syndrome, and she actually encouraged him to take this challenge. And it was ironic because she is actually a very competent blind person. Uh, she's doing very well with her own vision loss. Um, and she, you know, was actually quite helpful to her brother during this lunch. But yet uh, the message that came out of the report was still, gosh, isn't it difficult to be a blind person? And he actually said, Oh, gosh, it's so sad that I get to take this blindfold off, uh, but you don't. And, you know, I, I just I, I was struck by the irony of the whole thing, because here he is sitting with his sister, who is who is very competent and very accomplished. And yet because of this blindfold experience, uh, he felt sad about her blindness. And and that is what the research tells us as well. I mean, a, a doctoral candidate who is a member of the National Federation of the Blind, she was a doctoral candidate at the time, Ariel Silverman, did research where she had uh, people try to do, sighted people try to do certain tasks under blindfold. And then she had a, a control group that did not do those tasks uh, under blindfold, uh, did not do any tasks under blindfold. And she asked them both questions about, do you think a blind person could do this uh, or that? Uh, you know, do you think it's possible to live a full life as a blind person? And the people who wore the blindfolds and attempted things actually did have after doing that, more negative attitudes about blindness than the people who had never attempted uh, doing something under a blindfold. So in a way, it's possible that unintentionally uh, this, this uh, young lady set her brother's attitudes back. Now, all of that, I should say, I, I don't want to criticize individuals. We are asking individuals not to do this. But I don't want to criticize the the journalist uh, or even his sister. I mean, from the journalist perspective, uh, she asked him to have an experience and he did uh, what she asked him to do and uh, reported on it. And that's certainly his job. And, you know, uh, I don't want to 
I don't want to make this personal. I don't want to make this about P- Peter and Rebecca Alexander or, or anyone in particular. But I do want to say that we don't, you know, actually think this is a good way to learn about blindness. There are multiple surveys that have been done over many years, which indicates that blindness, even without the blindfolding, is feared sometimes more than acquiring AIDS or cancer. So it's right up there. And this just plays into those stereotypes. It does. You know, and it's interesting. Uh, Another story just a few days ago, I was asked to go and visit a young man in the hospital who, among other things, is experiencing blindness. He He is totally blind now because of injuries he sustained in a very severe gas explosion. Uh, and that gas explosion also uh, burned 80% of his body. So he's been in burn treatment for a very long time now. Uh, the extent of his injuries in his legs was such that that those had to, his legs had to be removed below the knee. So he's obviously dealing with multiple issues. And yet it struck me that the thing that he is the most concerned and the most upset about is that he has lost his eyesight. That's the thing that's really preying on his mind. And I don't blame him for that, but it it was interesting to me that that's the topmost thing in his head uh, is the fact that he, uh, you know, not the not the extreme pain that he's in at times and uh, not necessarily the extreme pain he's in at times, although I'm sure he thinks about that when it, when it happens, uh, and, and not some of the other challenges he's facing, but the blindness is really causing him a lot of anxiety. And I was asked to go in and talk to him just to give him some encouragement and to, uh, help him dial back some of that anxiety, even though what I was telling him, I mean, you know, the, the, the gentleman's got a long way to go before he can even start to deal with learning how to live life as a blind person. But that's the thing that's bothering him most. And that really says something about the level of fear that the general public has uh, about blindness. The, the NFB and uh, some of its members are counteracting this campaign by actually participating in it in a different way using the hashtag. And I understand that uh, NFB President Mark Riccobono has actually contributed a video along these lines. Yes, he has. That video is actually embedded on our homepage now at nfb.org. Uh, and it specifically addresses, because Mark Riccobono is a parent, he has three beautiful children, and his wife, Melissa, is also blind. And so he specifically wanted to address that. What we're asking, what he did, and what we're asking all blind people to do uh, that are involved with us, or even not, is to counter this campaign by posting videos that actually do show how blind people accomplish some of the same tasks that the Foundation Fighting Blindness has suggested that people do under blindfolds. So we want to, uh, since they've gone to the trouble of setting up a hashtag and uh, have encouraged people to post videos to it, we are saying, you know, let's counteract what's happening by posting our own videos showing that, yes, in fact, blind people can do these tasks and and do them all the time. And that hopefully will counteract some of the negativity that comes from people, uh, sighted people, putting on blindfolds and attempting these tasks and not doing them successfully. Um, And so that's what we would ask uh, all of your listeners to do. If you have the capability to make a video uh, and just demonstrate doing any particular task, and it can be anything from an ordinary task to a particular hobby that you have, uh, you know, to something that uh, that is challenging for anyone to do, let alone a blind person, uh, but that you happen to be able to do. But let's show the public through this campaign, the full range of things that blind people are capable of. And hopefully that will counteract the negative impact that 
is created when people try to do tasks under blindfolds and and don't do them very well because they just don't have the know-how and the experience that that other blind people have. Do you have any evidence as to the extent to which that's working or not working in terms of uh, letting the public think uh, differently about this issue? You know, I should have brushed up on the statistics uh, before I came uh, on the podcast, Jonathan, but I can tell you that uh, we are, uh, as of last weekend anyway, uh, we were dominating the hashtag. Uh, There were a lot more videos of blind people doing various tasks than of people who were blindfolded doing tasks being posted to the hashtag. I think I was told at the time by our uh, social media coordinator that it was pretty much a, a two or three to one ratio. So we are having an impact, uh, you know, whether, whether ever anybody's watching all of our videos, I don't have exact, uh, metrics on right now, but we were having an impact in terms of, of turning the topic of the hashtag a good deal. Uh, so, and, and we hope to be able to, uh, through, making people aware of our counter activity, our countermeasure, if you will, through forums like your excellent podcast, that we can keep up that trend. This is going to be, I think, one of those examples that they may use in future when they educate practitioners of social media, because so often you see an organization initiate a social media campaign that is in some way ill thought through or ill advised and it gets for want of a better term hijacked although I think the term hijacked in this case doesn't really apply does it because these are legitimately blind people saying how they do actually see it absolutely I mean if if the idea is is for people to uh to talk about blindness and the effect that it has that's all we're doing and we are counteracting one narrative about blindness with a different narrative about blindness and you know hopefully the the public will uh choose to believe the narrative that that while medical research is is not a bad thing and fighting blindness is not a bad thing that that blind people are actually living good and full and productive and useful lives and that uh that blindness is not not a kind of death that it's not the end of life as you know it uh that it that it can be uh you know with the right with the right tools and with the right training and with the right opportunities uh turned into something that is certainly not desirable certainly inconvenient certainly has its uh disadvantages but is nevertheless something that can be lived with and doesn't have to be the characteristic that defines you or your future and doesn't keep you from living the life you want we're unlikely to know i suppose how much fundraising can be attributed to this campaign for the foundation fighting blindness and i suppose that in the end that's how they will measure whether the campaign was a success or not, and it may actually have done quite well for them. Well, I I mean, it certainly uh, raised some money for them, although the last time we looked, I don't think it's raised anywhere near the fundraising goal that they have set. Now, they are saying that the campaign runs until October 13th, uh, so who knows where they will be by that time. And, you know, but I, I... suspect that maybe it's not meeting their fundraising expectations. And I say that not to gloat at all, uh, because we, while we would prefer that blind, that, that, well, that not just blind people, but that people do not donate to the foundation fighting blindness during this campaign, during this social media campaign, you know, we don't want people to not donate to the foundation fighting blindness or to avoid donating to any organization that is doing medical research. That's not our goal. 
but we do want to, in effect, cause some consequences for the foundation fighting blindness, putting out this kind of harmful narrative about blindness. And hopefully uh, between that and hopefully uh, meeting with them in a constructive way, even though that won't happen as soon as we would like, uh, hopefully we can steer their future fundraising in a more positive direction. And and we'd like nothing better than for that to happen. And as you suggested earlier, for them to actually become partners with us so that together our organizations can send the message that, uh, look, uh, you know, there are ways to cope with vision loss uh, until such time as uh, treatment or a cure is available. And we're working together to make sure not only that we continue to do research so that blind people in the future will be better off, but so that we help blind people that are living today to get on with their lives, even if their vision cannot be uh, corrected as soon as they would like for it to be. You indicated that the chief executive of the Foundation Fighting Blindness wasn't able to meet with Mark Riccobono until after this campaign. Will that meeting take place anyway? Oh yes, we'll definitely uh, we'll definitely meet. Uh, we, you know, there's there's uh, we're happy to talk with them at any time. Uh, you know, it's an important it's important for us to continue to make the point about why this uh, campaign was harmful and how we might uh, work together in the future and how we might uh, avoid this kind of controversy. So uh, my understanding is that President Riccobono does plan to meet uh, with the CEO of the Foundation Fighting Blindness. I believe his name is Bill Schmidt. Uh, and, and, you know, try to move us forward. But, uh, you know, I mean, President Riccobono is traveling right now, uh, and he has travel plans for a great deal of the month of, of October. He did actually, uh, offer to cancel or change his travel plans in order that he could meet with, uh, Mr. Schmidt and, get this resolved and discuss some of our concerns. The Foundation Fighting Blindness did not show interest in doing that, but we will still uh, meet and hopefully something good will come out of that meeting. Do you believe that the Foundation Fighting Blindness owes the blind community some sort of apology? (sighs) I think that it would be good if there were an acknowledgement, some sort of acknowledgement from the foundation fighting blindness that this campaign was harmful and furthermore an acknowledgement that there are blind people living full and productive lives. I don't know, uh, I don't want to negotiate about what that should look like before we have even met with the foundation fighting blindness. I mean, you know, at this point, if they if they said we are, uh, you know, no longer going to encourage people to post videos of themselves doing things blindfolded and didn't apologize, that would be fine. Uh, it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't change what has happened, but it would at least show some recognition that uh, that they went in the wrong direction. And I think we could maybe move forward without an uh, an abject a policy but uh, but on the other hand our members are very upset if you read some of the facebook posts you know and, and obviously we as a as a grassroots organization we try to activate all our member uh, our members all the time and we are doing that and encouraging them them to post videos but our membership has been very active and very vocal in discussing this and why it's harmful and why it's upsetting, uh, why it's even hurtful. And the thing that hurts most from what some of our members have been saying is that the foundation really isn't listening to us, hasn't uh, said, uh, you know, forget it, uh, please stop using this hashtag to post videos of yourselves blindfolded we we are going to redirect this campaign 
and think of another way to to raise funds. Just the fact that we that so many of our members feel that they're not being listened to, that they are blind people who have a legitimate opinion about this and they're essentially being ignored. Uh, one one of our members said, you know, it's not only that you're hurting me, but you've said, in effect, I we know that we're hurting you and we don't care. And so I think some sort of, uh, it may be that some sort of actual apology uh, becomes necessary. But I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get ahead of our of our president before he meets with the foundation CEO. Uh, we'll see what a solution uh, and hopefully a better relationship going forward looks like when we have that opportunity. We'll follow up with interest. I appreciate you coming on the podcast, Chris, and let's hope that there are some developments to report in subsequent weeks. Thanks, Jonathan. I, I hope there are, and it's always a pleasure to be with you. That's Chris Danielson from the National Federation of the Blind. I'll be back with some final thoughts in a moment. I know the place Anthony Horvath's been confined to every Saturday night because he's been banned from all the bars, you see. He made too much mayhem every Monday. He drank copious amounts from the beer fridge without paying, and he was even known to get involved in a Friday free-for-all. Now we've confined him to the shed. It's a very, very big shed, you know. Yeah, thanks, Anthony. He's safe out there in his shed with a few sun lounges, a stereo system, huge speakers. Full of those woofers and tweeters! And, of course, your standard intercontinental ballistic missile he inherited from the Strategic Arms Limitation Treaty. Now don't you dare go exploding people with that thing, it's being done elsewhere, I tell you. The triple track is back, with three tracks from the same artist back to back to back. Crank it all the way up and rip the knob off for the live and loud segment, and Anthony loves playing your requests from his very, very big music collection in the shed. It's a very, very big shed, you know. Now, now, Anthony, didn't your mother tell you nice boys don't boast about the size of their sheds, just tell them where to listen. Join me, Anthony Horvath, in the shed every Saturday evening from 11pm Eastern until 3 for 4 hours of Just About Anything Goes here on a Mushroom FM, your home of the fun guys. I'll be interested in your thoughts on this week's podcast, whether you are offended or angered by the Foundation Fighting Blindness's campaign, How I See It, or whether you think the National Federation of the Blind is being unduly sensitive about the matter. I have some thoughts on this, and I want to share them with you before we go, because this issue is one of the issues that actually got me involved in advocacy a long time ago, a little later than when I did the Cowardly Lion and the Wizard of Oz, <laughs> but not too much later. And I was inspired to take a stand on this by an ad I saw on the television. Now, to give you a bit of background on this, in New Zealand, and in fact many other countries in the Western world outside the United States, Blindness services are funded in large part from charitable donation. In New Zealand, there is some government funding for blindness services, but charitable donation supplements some of those services and pays for other services where there is no government funding at all. The library service, for example, is a case in point, as is guide dog services, all of which are run by one organisation in New Zealand. And there's no doubt that it is very difficult to fundraise in today's environment when you're competing with kids who are malnourished in many developing countries because of war or famine, when you're competing with people recovering from natural disasters. There are many very worthy causes that are vying for the all too dwindling charitable dollar. And as a former chairman of the Blindness Agency, I certainly understand that when you sit down and you have to do the strategic planning and you have to make some very tough decisions about the money that you have and how you apportion that money, it is very tough. And so there is considerable pressure on fundraisers to bring in the money. And without the money, the programs can't be funded. So I'm not completely unfamiliar with the dilemma that organizations face who are seeking to raise funds to fund their work. Now that said, way back when, long before I was the chairman of the Blindness Agency in New Zealand, I got inspired to get involved heavily in advocacy in part because of an ad that was on the TV. And this ad 
put out by the Blindness Agency here in New Zealand at the time, featured a famous sportsman, one of New Zealand's most beloved sportsmen. And he was out on the cricket pitch, blindfolded. And he was bowled a ball in the game of cricket. The idea is that he should hit the ball with his bat, something he was very, very good at, one of the world's best, in fact. And of course, he couldn't hit the ball with the bat because he couldn't see that the ball was coming. He basically made a hash of it. And the point was how terrible it would be if you were a blind person, so please give generously. And as a young guy, perhaps a little idealistic, I was outraged by this because I felt that you do not seek to raise funds for blind people by perpetuating stereotypes and making blind people seem helpless. Perhaps it's harder. Perhaps it requires a little bit more careful thought and innovation. But you don't raise money for your clientele by denigrating that same clientele. And make no mistake, that's what this campaign from the Foundation Fighting Blindness is doing. We've all been there. I think I'm fairly safe to say that. We've all been there. We've been manhandled by somebody when we try to get up on the bus because everybody knows that blind people can't handle steps. Many of us have had our parenting abilities questioned when we're just sitting at a McDonald's with our kids and some random person comes up and starts berating you in front of your children for being a blind parent. If that hasn't happened to you, believe me, it's happened to me and it's happened to many other blind parents that I have spoken with, just random busybodies coming out and interfering where that interference isn't warranted, judging your ability as a parent. We've all probably experienced a situation where we've applied for a job and we subconsciously just know that our potential employer is closing their eyes and thinking, gosh, if I were blind, I wouldn't be able to do this job. Therefore, neither can the blind applicant. They give the job to someone else. And of course, with discrimination being illegal these days, you often don't find out about those real reasons and employers are reluctant to discuss them unless the employer is particularly silly and tells you you didn't get the job because you're blind. But that seldom happens these days. So there is a lot of misconception that is out there. You have an organization who of course is striving for what they perceive to be a better tomorrow, and it is insidious. As I mentioned in the interview with Chris, there's no doubt that if you are going blind slowly and you see your vision seeping away, it's a huge adjustment because eventually you have to make that call. When has my vision reached the point that I need to start doing things as a blind person and not as a person with a vision problem, but who can get by. And that's not only a difficult emotional decision, it's a difficult adjustment decision. Of course, it involves rehabilitation. On the Foundation Fighting Blindness's own site, in their media release announcing this campaign, it says, and I quote, Americans rank losing eyesight as the worst thing that could happen to them when ranked against other conditions, including loss of a limb, memory, hearing, or speech. That's what it says on their website. And so they say that they are having this campaign to, and I quote again from them directly, raise awareness. The issue is not raising awareness. It's perpetuating myths and stereotypes. Vision is a very dominant sense. And it's often said that the vast majority of information that people process is through their vision. And so if you've got it, it's natural that you depend upon it. No problem with that. If you're suddenly deprived of it, then it in no way represents a realistic simulation of how blind people live their lives every day, with even the most minimal of rehabilitation services. On the How I See It website, some of the tasks that the Foundation Fighting Blindness suggests that you take a video of yourself doing include making your bed, eating a meal, and getting ready for the day. These are all things that many of us do while doing other things. We could be talking to our kids or our significant other. We could be listening to music or just doing something else because with even the smallest amount of rehabilitation, these tasks are just tasks you do in the background. They're allocated to the subconscious. And people from the Foundation Fighting Blindness know this. They have enough connection with blind people to undoubtedly know this. 
And so what is happening here is that the foundation fighting blindness are knowingly and willfully perpetuating lies about blindness in order to line their own pockets. And the foundation owes us an apology. And as for that ad and other use of celebrity blindfolding that occurred subsequently, eventually my argument did win the day and consumers opted to put together a code of ethics with the blindness agency governing the use of blindfolding. Wouldn't it be great if that kind of code of ethics went international? Then we could ask organisations like the Foundation Fighting Blindness and anyone raising money in the name of blindness to sign on and make sure that fundraising for blind people is dignified, accurate and not harmful. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Blind Side, a production of Mosin Consulting. On the web at mosin.org.